from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Darlene Gate. Darlene is a painter from Canada. We discuss her painting and the source for her inspiration. I started the interview by asking Darlene where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. It was really beautiful growing up here. It was like a rainforest. It's one of the warmest places to live in in Canada, although I can't say that today because it's minus six outside, which is weird. I grew up in Arrington on a farm. What was religious life like growing up? Um, My parents, when I was really small, were Jehovah Witnesses. I guess our education in religion was based on Christianity. And as I got older, my parents left the, the church and left the religion when I was about 10 years old. So I kind of had a a basic understanding about, and I had a lot of questions all my life about unity, about different cultures, and about racism. And a lot of these subjects came up because I was born into a family of, a multicultural family of Native and non-Natives. So tell me about your multicultural family. My father was European. He came from a European background of English and Scottish. And my mother was First Nation from the islands. So she had a long history of almost, you know, 10,000 years rooted into the island that I was raised on. And my father was, it was quite controversial that they were married because it was something that was kind of taboo in their day. And being raised both from two different cultures was sometimes really confusing, but at the same time it had a lot of gifts for myself as a painter. I think it was the the base reason why I became a, an artist was due to that reason of just trying to understand where I fit in. I'm interested in your mother's history. Did she at all teach you any of the traditional ways growing up? Well, many of, of my traditional ways were taught to me from my grandmother, my mother's adopted mother from the Sartlip Reserve. Her real mother died of pneumonia when she was three years old, so she was um, raised in a, on a different reserve with a different set of parents, and they became our grandparents growing up, even though they weren't by blood our real grandparents. They were still First Nation, and they still had the same foundation, the same beliefs that we did from Esquimalt Nations. A lot of my teachings came from my grandmother, who was a helper, and she was a healer, so it really left a lot of imagination for me as a child, learning about both cultures, especially the First Nations culture, which is so based on spirituality, so... I would have to say it came from my grandmother, for sure. At what point did your parents become Jehovah's Witnesses? I think they did when I was about one years old. They started studying the Jehovah Witness religion, and they were quite deepened in it. But my father was forced to leave because he didn't quit smoking, and he was pretty angry about that because they wanted my, my mother to leave him, and he wouldn't. 
leave her or divorce her because he was barred from the church because he wouldn't quit smoking. And I remember the conflict that came from that and witnessing that as a child was, it was shocking to me that religion could have so much power over marriage and over people and I didn't really even understand anything about that but all I knew was that it felt really scary and I could see the conflict that was between my parents and I never wanted to be part of a religious organization that would do that to me. I think that's what put me on my search as I got older for what the right type of faith for me would be as an artist and as an individual. So how did your mother handle that? I remember she packed her bag and left and the four of us were at home by ourselves and I remember my father burning all the books from the Jehovah Witness in the backyard and we were just standing there by the window watching and really confused and then about a week later my mom came home we heard them talking and then it was over and both of them left the church so they made their decision that they weren't going to split the marriage up over my father not quitting smoking that they were going to stay together after that we started celebrating Christmas which was kind of interesting because we never had that before like a tree in our house and celebrating things like Easter and uh, different religious holidays that we never celebrated because we were Jehovah Witnesses so it was just a real memorable part of my past When did the interest in art start manifesting itself? Well, it's such an interesting question because I, rem- I'm, I always say when I was 10 years old, I made my decision to become an artist for the rest of my life, but it was much before that because I remember being two years old and trying to understand how to draw leaves and understand how to draw different uh, shapes that I seen in front of me. So it, it goes back to being a toddler and just trying to understand things and questioning everything. Um, the love of art just was already there. It was the foundation of who I was going to become. And I think just being, you know, turning 10 years old and deciding this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, it was, you know, my decision was based solely on spirituality, which was I want to understand God. And the only way to do that is is to just keep doing this art because it made sense to me when I was doing my art helped me to understand a lot of things that I couldn't from this reality. So it might be very difficult in words to express, but how does art be able to do that, whereas no other mode seemed to be able to do that for you? It is really hard to explain. I'll do my best. In my First Nations culture, we believe that we have spirit ancestors around us at all times. I always felt that I had uh, almost like a guide teaching me as I got older about different things, and I was never able to to see it, see that guide or the spiritual realm in this this life. It sounds almost crazy to say this, so I would draw the images of the the teachers for me as as a child, and um, I don't really understand, and I don't really know how to put it into words, but that's basically how I learned to draw was from those spiritual guides that were around me and that led me down this path that I'm on today. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It sounds kind of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to put it in a way that doesn't sound crazy. You know, when you're dealing with the spiritual realm, there's there's a fine line between being crazy and the the truth. When I was in college and I was getting my design and, and graphic design training, there was definitely no spirituality in that. 
in the arts. It was like zero. It was mostly all, I don't know how to explain this. When I'm teaching myself how to paint and how to draw and how to, you know, be pulling all that uh, knowledge from within myself through meditation or, or just through daydreaming as a child, it's a lot easier for me to understand that than it is to recreate that same thing through a technique that you're learning from someone else because it's not something you can ever learn from anyone. It's only something that you can learn from from your own self and from allowing yourself to become still and then you're able to create. I guess it would be the same for songwriters and for singers. No different. It's all the same same place that I'm talking about. It's interesting that you chose graphic design as the course of study in in college versus just art. Well, I was already an artist when I went, and I was making somewhat of a living off of selling my paintings at that time, but I just wasn't making enough to make a living at. So I had to go to school, and they said, well, I had to make a decision about what it is I wanted to do if I was going to go to school and have two careers, and I thought, well, if I have to do something to support my art, then I'm going to do something that's art-related. So... I took graphic design and I freelanced and I used that as a way of employment as a freelance designer for about six or seven years and it was able to support me and my family. And that's what you did after you finished your schooling in graphic design? Yes, I did. I I freelanced for um, about seven years after Mm -hmm. I graduated and I also did work really, really hard um, as an artist. I did I did both and just marketed myself and, you know, did the whole shows and, and setting up all over BC and and different places in, in Canada. It was it was a lot of I think back on it now and I wonder, oh my god, that was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. But I managed And did you enjoy that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, if I had to go back and do it again I would for sure. There were moments that I didn't enjoy. I think in everyone's life they look back on it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, the exhibitions. Yeah. It was interesting to get people's feedback. I Mm. went through a transitional place in my life where I was trying to understand where I fit in as an artist because in Canada there's First Nations art and there's non-Native art and there's no such thing as both. There's no place for anyone that's both and it was really hard to... I had to basically create my own path to have my art shown because there was really no place for me to show my work that was acceptable. And the government really didn't support that. They only supported First Nation art or non-Native art. So I didn't get much support from the government. I was really on my own, and it just made me work even harder. So your art straddled two worlds, the Native world and the non-Native world. That's right. It was just a reflection of who I am. So after you freelanced for six or seven years, what did you do? I was able to support myself as an artist, so Mm. I quit design, and I was really grateful to quit because I really just wanted to paint. My father moved to the reserve with my mother. They moved back there because my mother's brother, who was an elder from Esquimalt, had a stroke, and he was unable to walk and asked my mother to move home. So for the first time in their... 38, 39 years in marriage. They moved back to Esquimalt Nations, and um, and it was the first time my father ever lived with First Nations people. As, an, like he's, as a non-Native person, it was really hard for him. 
to understand a lot of the cultural ways, but he fit in just fine and was loved and respected. And he came out and asked me one day, do you want me to build you that gallery that you talked about all your life? And I said, yeah, that would be awesome. For 12 months, he worked building it. And um, I now have my own... It's not really a gallery. It looks like a showroom. I have a showroom on the on the reserve, so um, it's a legacy that he left me before he passed away because he died a year later, and I was really grateful for that. Was he ill? Yeah, he had lung cancer from mm. smoking. How long have you had the gallery open? The gallery's been open for, I guess it's coming on five years this spring, so it'll be five years this spring. If somebody wants to find out more about your artwork, how would they do that? It's probably the easiest just to go online and just look at my my online gallery at onemoon.ca. O-N-E-M-O-O-N.ca. One Moon. This is not really a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) How would you describe your art? I would describe my art as spiritual. And the reason why I can just, I know that spiritual is really big and broad, that word, because so many people use it for so many different ways. That's just the way other people describe it, so that's the only reason why I'm saying that, because the people who collect my art come from every religion. I never thought that would happen. You know, like I always thought that when I start painting Baha'i-themed art, which I have been since I became a Baha'i, that... um you know, combined with my First Nations culture and my European, it's just like the three all combined, that I would lose my audience, but I didn't. I gained many different religions. So I have many people from Christian backgrounds, from Jewish backgrounds, even Buddhist backgrounds that collect my work. And their only way that they ever describe to me when they come is that your art is so spiritual, it really touches my heart. So... I guess you're asking me how I describe my art, though, and I'm telling you how other people describe <laughs> <That's> my art. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. I would describe my art personally as just a reflection of my inner reality. And so when people see your art, they'll say, well, I'm seeing the inner reality of Darlene Gate. Well, usually people see the inner reality of themselves when they look at my work. It's usually not me, it's them. Darlene, tell me how you ran into the Baha'i faith. Well... It's kind of a weird story. I was with my friend Allison, who is not a Baha'i, but we live in Shawnigan Lake, and we were going to, it was a a group, a woman's group in the middle of the woods where women got together and they sang, and they used it for, I don't know, it's like a spiritual singing healing group, and I thought, okay, she asked me, do you want to go, and I kind of looked at her weird, and I said, yeah, okay. This was about eight years ago, and uh, we went, and there was, a guy there that was showing meditation and different forms of meditation through singing. And I remember he, we were all sitting in a circle with our eyes closed and we were humming all at the same time. And then we were supposed to go into a meditation and he asked us to, you know, whatever pops into your mind first, you need to remember because we're going to talk about that afterwards. And the first thing that popped into my mind was this short little man with a businessman, I remember thinking how odd that was. He was an older man, and I didn't really understand who he was, but I thought, okay, this is weird. I'll just say it was a short, 
businessman in a tie that was old and they just looked at me like I was crazy and I said well that's all that popped into my head about a year later I had this man that came through my show in Shawnigan Lake and bought all my original art and I was thinking holy cow who's buying all my art up and it wasn't till maybe about six or seven months after he started collecting my work that I actually met him and it was that man it was that businessman that I had seen in my um, my meditation. He was an older man. He was 20 years older than me, and he was also a businessman. And I thought, okay, this is really weird. And I just thought, let's get together and we'll meet and talk and see what this connection is about. And um, brought my art with me, and he ended up buying all the art that I brought with me. He collected all of it. And he was really excited about owning my art, and I thought that was so strange. Eventually we befriended one another, and... He's now my husband, and he's a Baha'i. Did he ever say what was it about the art that just captured him? He said it looked like it was my art was painted from a place that he couldn't put his... It had feeling in it that he couldn't describe. It was just he was overwhelmed when he seen my work. And this was, a, this was before we met, so he didn't know who I was. He just knew that he really loved my work, and... He said it just moved him so much that some of the pieces made him cry. And I thought that was really odd. I didn't really even understand what the faith was when I first met him. It took a while for him to really tell me about the faith. And I ended up declaring through someone else, not him. He said that my art looked like it was from a place that described what he believed in. It was a representation to him of unity. So that was the attraction, I guess for him to my art, but I wasn't a Baha'i, I was First Nation, and I thought that was weird for someone to (laughs) say that. (laughs) I didn't quite know what to think. So what was your first reaction to hearing about the Baha'i faith? At first, complete, I didn't embrace it. I thought it was just another one of those freaky religions, like, that were always trying to push their way upon our native people, and I it wasn't. I didn't understand that it was in Shawnigan Lake where I lived, and I, it was just down the road from me. I'd never heard of the Baha'i faith in all my life. I didn't really even understand what it was until I had a really good teacher sit down and explain to me about um, some of the prophecies of the faith of the Native North Americans. And when I heard that, I knew that it was from God. It just completely made sense to me as soon as I heard that had quite a few different spiritual experiences since I became a Baha'i, so I've had confirmations after confirmations. So I know that this is truly the right, the right faith for me and for my family. So can you share some of those Native prophecies that you were referring to? There is one prophecy that was about the Native North Americans, that when they become enlightened, through the faith, that they will become the next spiritual teachers of the world. And it made sense to me because my Native people, from at least from West Coast, are very humble. I've met Native people who are, very, who are aligned with the teachings of the Baha'i faith, and when they walk into a room, they have this kind of energy that changes the whole energy of the room. It doesn't matter who's in there. They have a a certain knowledge about the cultural way that they come from and about the Baha'i faith. And when it's combined, it's so powerful 
to be in the presence of that. I've already witnessed it myself, seeing the, you know, how important it is for them or how important they are to other people as, as sources of inspiration for our people and for non-Native people. You said that you had some interesting spiritual experiences. Can you share those? There is one experience that really stands out for me, and it's kind of a, it's an interesting story, and it's also a true story. When I was, my husband is, he lived in Spain. He was raised in Spain most of his life, although he's, he has a Persian background. And every summer, we usually go back to Spain because he has a lot of family and friends there, and we spend a couple of months there. I remember one summer we went, we were on our way to a family reunion of his, and he was meeting all the different people from his past that he had never met before from his side of his mother's side of the family in a place somewhere in Spain. And we were on our way, and we ended up staying in a hotel on the way because it was such a long drive. And um, in the morning, I got up, and I was saying my prayers, and I was feeling really frustrated, and I was saying, asking the Creator to help me to understand my purpose of what it is that that he wants from me as a native Baha'i because there is so much resistance from First Nations people about this faith and at the time there was anyways and I just needed to understand what it is that if I'm on the right path you're just going to have to give me a sign because I can't go on like this and I was I meant it like I was speaking from my heart this was just after I said my prayers I was sitting in my room and the windows were really small and in the little room that we were in. It was an old castle that was converted into a hotel. And I had a, one of the smaller windows open. And just after I had asked the creator to give me a sign that I'm on the right path, a hawk flew in that window and landed on top of my head. And my husband just sat there with his mouth hanging open. And he picked up the hawk with a towel and just held it in his arms for a few minutes, and he put it down on the, the windowsill and thought it's going to fly away, but it didn't fly away. It just stared at me, and it wouldn't move. It just stared at me for at least 20 minutes, and it started mimicking everything that I did. So if I turned my head one way, it would turn its head the same way. If I turned around, it would turn its back. It was bizarre. I've never... I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know what it meant. But I knew that it was definitely a sign that I was on the right path because I understood that loud and clear at that moment because just before that, I had painted an image of a Native woman with a hawk on her head. So I knew that that was the Creator's way of telling me that I am on the right path. And it was quite a powerful moment for my husband to witness that and for me to be in that, to have that happen. Did you share your faith with your mother and father? I did. Before my father passed away, he seen a painting that I did. It was called Meeting the Master, and it was the original. And I remember um, after I finished the piece, it was life-size. It was a really big painting, and I didn't really want my dad to see it because I knew that he wouldn't appreciate it the way I do. That painting, Meeting the Master, came from a very deep vision that I had of Abdu'l-Bahá and myself as a child. So I was quite, you know, into that piece. I, I just put my whole soul into that piece when I created it. And I didn't think my dad would understand it, and I didn't really want to have to explain it to him because he had his own views on religion. 
So I brought it into my gallery, and he came downstairs, and he said, well, are you going to show me? Because I had it covered. And I just looked at him, and I said, you don't want to see this one. And he said, just let me see it. It's a nice big piece. Let me see it. You've been working on it forever. And I said, okay. And I took the blanket off, and he just sat there in front of it, and he dropped to his knees, and he cried for like 20 minutes. He cried. I didn't understand, and I was just standing behind him, and I said, Dad... I didn't know what to say. I was just completely shocked because I thought he was just going to look at it and, and say, oh, this is another one of your, you know, he, he wasn't interested in learning about the faith, my father. But this piece, it just, I don't know what happened to him when he seen this piece. It moved him. He said, this is your Mona Lisa. He kept saying that over and over again. And then shortly after that, he passed away. And my mother, she became a Baha'i shortly after that. Others in my family have, too. Did your father ever express what moved him so much by seeing that picture? Um, he said that the man in the picture, he, know, he, re- he remembered seeing that man in a dream. And that it just resonated with him so deeply. And my father is not really the type of person to express himself emotionally, so it was really weird for me to see him crying. I really was shocked. I really just sat there and I didn't know what to say because I'd never really seen my dad cry before. And he was always a real strong, kind of manly man. And he just said, I remember, he couldn't even talk about the painting without crying when he was sick. When he told me that he just remembered the man in the painting, I know he was talking about Abdu'l-Bahá, he said that it's definitely something spiritual and holy and something good. That's all he said. And he knew that it was going to make a difference with our people one day, with my relatives and my native nation. So it just really resonated and moved him. All I know is that uh, many uh, confirmations that I had about the faith and what it means to the future of of my nation have been revealed to me from dreams. And our nation really believes native people from North America see dreams as a real as a way to help guide us spiritually you know that attracted me too it made me feel like I was okay that there was nothing wrong with it because I've always never really felt like there was any faith or religions or spiritual beliefs or anything out there and there was no place for me and when I found the faith it was like I was meant to be a Baha'i so is there a, a dream that you would like to share not necessarily a dream but I'm thinking about the meditations that I do. Before I became a Baha'i, I did meditate and I did pray. And I very I tried to deepen myself as much as I could to be close to the Creator. I just find it really interesting that many First Nations people, they understand the close connection to that spiritual reality more so than non-Native people. And I have a feeling that that form of, of spiritual meditation and connection is something that many non-Native people need to really learn. I really feel that uh, that many answers lay in the meditation part of prayer, and it has to be a really important part of of the process of developing yourself as an individual and as a Baha'i in in the spiritual way that we're meant to be as Baha'is. And I think that gift that the First Nations people have to offer us we need to really pay attention to that and learn as much as we can about the North American Native people just so that we're able to deepen ourselves more 
because they have that gift to offer us. Darlene, is there something you haven't done yet that you want to do? Well, very strange, you know, like since I became a Baha'i, the last two years I've been chanting my prayers and I didn't even know that I could sing. And I have, you know, this desire in me to really, really use music as a way of sharing in the spiritual sense because it's almost the same as painting I'm finding there's just as much power in chanting that can move and resonate people's hearts and awaken the spirit as much as a painting can so I I kind of go between my painting and, and my music now I'm finding a lot of power and strength in that to keep me connected to the source so I guess you know where I'd like to go as an artist is I'd like to be able to use my music as well as my art. It, it resonates more with my native people, I guess, as teaching with music. That's one thing I know for sure. And as far as my paintings go, well, I'm nowhere near where I want to be in, as an artist. I have a long ways to go. I'm just going to keep hoping that I, you know, every year I, I, nothing happens to me where it prevents me from painting and it's if so, then I guess I'll have to do something else. But I'm really grateful that my hands work, that I can, that I have eyes to see, and and that I have that ability to go within myself to create these images on canvas. And I know that the more I deepen in my faith, you're going to see it in my art. When you say that you have a long way to go, it sounds like you see something that you aren't expressing yet. Or what do you mean by that? You have a long way to go. Well, the, the more I deepen in the faith and understand through the writings, through the, the holy writings of Baha'u'llah, the more I, I'm able to see. And it's almost like it's been described as a veil that's being removed. You know, just when you think the veil is removed and you can see everything, you're, you realize that you, a couple of years will go by and you'll realize it hasn't and that you're still learning and that you have a long ways to go. So it's a never-ending process. And you can always tell where I'm at when you look at my paintings with each piece that I put out every month. You can see where I'm at spiritually in my art. It's a good thermometer. I know that if it's a piece that comes from a place that resonates almost with, on a collective basis with other people, that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm on the right path, and that I'm connecting to that source. So it's almost like a thermometer, a spiritual thermometer, my art. I try my hardest to stay connected. I'm hoping, I know that there's, there, it's more, like there's more to learn. I know there's so much more that I have to, or there's so much further ahead that I need to go. And I'm just touching the iceberg right now in the arts. In 10 years from now, I'll look back and I'll think, oh God, I had such a long ways to go. That's kind of how I feel every decade. You can't really see the growth on a day-to-day basis, but in, in 10 years you can. Have you done any recording of your chanting? Yes, I have. I have. My husband's recorded me a couple of times, and I've been asked by many, many different events to chant. I'm always surprised when people ask me. I look at them like, don't they know that I don't know how to sing? (laughs) (laughs) But they seem to think I know how to sing, and I just Mm. think, I don't even think it's singing. It's just connecting to that source and chanting the music that comes from within you. 
it's really hard to take credit because it's mostly just the power of the written word that's coming through. And my voice is just, a, you know, like a paintbrush. So it sounds like you have a very um, supportive husband. Yeah, he, he is my biggest fan. <laughs> he just stands back and just lets me grow. And lots of good things come from that. And I think, you know, my children, too, as they grow, I've got two boys. I have a 16-year-old that's not quite finished school yet. He's in grade 11. And an older son that's 22. My younger son is starting to understand about what, how important it is to become deepened in the faith. He declared when he was 15. It's nice to sit back and watch that happen with children, to see them almost blossoming or figuring things out. and It's really exciting. Mm. <laughs> He's a musician. My ah, son. He okay. plays the piano and he plays the, um, the saxophone and the guitar. and Nothing he can't draw a stick man if his life depended on it. <laughs> Definitely not a painter, but my older son is an artist, so art's really around us all the time in our house. So, Darlene, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Darlene Gate, a painter from Canada. You can find her work at onemoon.ca. That's O-N-E-M-O-O-N.ca. The first piece of music I play after closing is a recording by Darlene. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Thou verily, thou verily.
thankful sipping turns to midnight binge Falls and gets up some which realize
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.